and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week we have Matthew Davis with us, and he is the chief marketing officer at Trade Pending, and he's a established leader, executive with a background in marketing sales, mobile entrepreneurship, event planning, and product. But I would like to give a warm welcome to him. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. The first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I am primarily a coffee drinker, but I have to backtrack that a little bit. There was, was a point in my life where we had one kid and then we had two kids at the same time. We had twins. And then I quit my job to do another startup and not make any money. So I went heavy into the coffee at that point. But just in the last couple of years, I have switched to decaf. I've cut caffeine out of my diet. So I don't, can you say you're a coffee drinker if you drink decaf? That's We'll leave that, <laughs> that question open. Depends on the coffee drinker. If it's a coffee connoisseur, no, they'll call it like fake coffee or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But I gave a very brief introduction to your expertise and what you do, but can you give a little bit more of who you are and what your expertise as well? I started my career, it was really in my entrepreneurial career back when I was in elementary school. I started weaving baskets and selling them to my parents' friends. My mom taught me how to weave baskets, so I did it and I sold them and was like, I can actually make money doing this. I graduated to a window washing and pressure cleaning business in college. Uh, a friend and, and myself ran that for five years. I bought him out halfway through and then sold it a few years later. So I had a really good taste of entrepreneurship there at that point. And after that, I basically spent a decade selling everything from mortgages to eBay software to import export compliance software. I did take a brief hiatus to uh, do another startup this time, uh, completely in the software space, not services. And we did everything right except make money. And so when, when that ran out of cash, I went back and transitioned my career over to marketing. And so I've been marketing now for primarily small B2B software companies now for nine years. Gotcha. And since you do have some experience in kind of the product part of it, it seems like this year is like supply chain issues beyond belief. So how can marketing or marketers or even PR pros effectively message something when it's so just kind of like, okay, we're going to have enough supply to actually release this product or have enough product. So how do people navigate that, especially in startups that are doing products? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll have to frame this up a specific way. So most of my business is, or my career is in business to business software. So in terms of actually bringing physical product to market that is dependent upon supply chain, that's not my expertise. But what I can translate to is and answer this question is it really just depends upon how it impacts your business. That's the classic BS MBA answer right there. But for us, our company trade pending, we are in actually a really, really good spot. I think a lot of software companies are in a great spot right now as a result of the pandemic. And the reason for, for that for us is we're most well known for a, a website plugin that goes on car dealers websites. So you, you land on their web page. And we've got calls to action on there like, hey, do you want to value your trade-in? Sell us your car. So we do that today. We power those trade-in values, and we do it for over 3,000 dealers today across the country. And as a consumer, you get this Zillow-like report on your vehicle, how much demand there is for it in the market, how much supply, where it falls, and like this range of, of mileage and value. It's really, really good data. And so now you have this confluence of you know supply issues and sourcing issues where – 
there's really not much new car inventory available and not much is coming for the foreseeable future because of this chip shortage. That means there's a really, really high demand for used cars. And therefore that means more people are interested in selling them, more dealers are interested in buying them. And so you have, have like, wow, well, something like this where you can value the trade in, you can do it in seconds as opposed to filling out a hundred questions and it takes 10 minutes. There's a lot of demand for that. So we're in a really, really good spot. And a fun little just anecdote to share here quickly is that uh, you know, we track the the values of used cars, the, the most 100 bought and sold used cars across the country. And since January of 2020, so that's what, like 18 months ago, used car values are up 13% across those top 100 cars. It's just absolutely mind-blowing, like cars are appreciating. I'm, I'm kind of off topic here, but that's just one of those things that's like we are in a totally wild time right now. And we're just trying to adapt what we do and how we do it and what we say about it to, to match the match what the market's actually telling us. Yeah, I can imagine that your even plug-in would be really helpful for people going, oh, wow, I can get probably overvalue now of what my used car would traditionally be with Kelly Blue Book and everything. So have you seen people rely on your software, but also seen an uptick in people just wanting to know how much their value is for their car in general, just because of how much used cars there are and how much new cars are not yeah absolutely so across the board across our own website traffic across our, our customers website traffic there's definitely an increase in demand and a lot more people going to those value your trade-in calls to action on their sites to to do this and I'll, I'll share one other just absolutely wild story with you guys and that's uh because used cars are appreciating so fast right now new cars can only be sold for manufacturer suggested retail price, MSRP. So we heard an anecdote from somebody who maybe less than savory was saying that they were driving their new cars off the lot and driving them for 50 miles and bringing them back in and, re and selling them as used car because they know they can mark them up more. It's just the sign of the times. It's just absolutely strange. Yeah. And I mean, even more on the software side of it, just product launching in general and events, like big events and bigger things like look at our product has kind of pivoted a little bit more. I mean, for example, E3 is going on right now and everything is online hybrid or just online in general. What is your take on the virtual? Cause right. I've been a part of some of them and they kind of suck. I mean, not to be, <laughs> not to be mean to them. I get that a lot of people do take a lot of time to do it, but they're just not that good. So what is your take on it? And how do you see this going for like startups and everything with product launching software? Yes, I agree with you in terms of all of the online stuff, like hats off to the people who are running this and trying to make it work. They are giving it their all. But at the end of the day, the, the online conferences, all these things, they have just been completely abysmal in terms of from a marketer's perspective or if you're trying to make a big splash with a product announcement just really really bad just you can't have the same impact it's not because they're not trying hard it's just not the right format it's a square peg in a round hole now that being said you have to shift your tactics and something that we did a virtual conference and it was a small one it was a test and it went really poorly and we said all right well we're going to do another one but we're going to have to do it completely differently and so we invested all of our time and effort not in having a big virtual presence, but in all of the pre-show marketing. And that included everything from really aggressive campaigns to get people to sign up for a demo. And when I say aggress aggressive, our offer was aggressive, not our tactics were aggressive. So some aggressive promotions. And that was across digital. That was things we did for free. We did for paid. We sent out print. 
we really blanketed our customer base as much as we could to spread that word out and build the awareness so that we had a, a big, big opportunity before the show even started. And we ultimately didn't even really need that show to deliver the marketing punch that we needed. So would it just be better to have like maybe like one-on-ones with just journalists instead and just forget the virtual events, but just have more one-on-ones. Let's say you do like what we're doing with the Microsoft teams or zoom or whatever, and kind of just forego the whole, like, Hey, everybody sit at your computer screen again and try to have fun. Yeah. No, I don't think you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. So the one thing that those virtual shows can do is it's a forcing function, right? So yep, there's this event happening. People will be here hybrid, in-person, virtual. So you can make those connections, right? So there's still opportunity there. But if you have the same expectations that you did for a conference or an event in 2019, yeah, you got to throw that out the window. That part doesn't have to be thrown out the window. You have to totally reframe how you approach it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, speaking of all this, I mean, we could pivot to more of like content wise, should product launching or even software launching have more of just content specific? Should you have like more podcast interviews? Should you have um, try out clubhouse and drop in, drop out and just have a whole bunch of people there and just talk about your product and have people give feedback back? Cause that could be a really good, like customer interaction with it. So should you try different things? Maybe virtual events aren't very good, but you can try other types of tools to kind of mitigate that and maybe have more of a authentic, I guess, experience for customers and journalists in general. Yeah, that's a great point, right? So we, for the most part, we've been relying upon a lot of tried and true techniques in terms of just spreading the word about the the products, the features that we're releasing and when new things are launching. We're also in the automotive space. It's a a relatively small market. There's roughly 16, 17,000 franchise car dealerships in the United States that, that are our target market. So it's pretty well known who we go after. That being said, I think there's a ton of opportunity for for any marketer or product marketing person to test out those new channels. We've spent a little bit of time looking at Clubhouse. Quite frankly, we're letting the dust settle on that a little bit before we throw our hat in the ring too much. Maybe that's a mistake. Maybe it's not. We have some folks on our team who really take great advantage of Clubhouse for sales opportunities. From the marketing side, we haven't jumped in yet and explored that. And I think we should, right? Our job is to be open-minded and to test everything and see what works and, and what doesn't. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, software has basically had the limelight of everything in these past two years. Software has been kind of like the glue that's hold people together and everything. What do you see the future of like, let's say car buying could be a lot more e-commerce wise because before it really wasn't. You had to actually go into the dealership. You had to actually talk to the person and haggle for two, three, four, five hours if you're a really good haggler. Like, how do you see your company and everything else pivoting more towards like the Carvana or whatever it is? Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, certainly the pandemic accelerated a lot of that adoption. And so in automotive, they they call it digital retailing. It's all about digital retailing and the tools you have to do that, how they facilitate that. Most of the sophisticated car dealers in the United States today can deliver almost a, a complete Carvana type experience what they don't have is millions and millions to devote to national TV campaigns and advertising to spread that message. So I think a lot of that is there. But you know, to your point there, it's still really, really difficult to buy a car online. That's just some of the processes require a wet signature. You have to have somebody put an actual piece of pen to a paper and do that. And you just can't do that completely online yet. That being said, certainly our more sophisticated customers 
are pushing really hard down that path to make the process as frictionless as possible so that you can knock out 95% of the process before you either show up to the dealership and sign that paperwork or they deliver the car to you and you, you sign it there. And is there any way for startups to look at that pain point and be like, hey, we have something for you and how could these maybe smaller startups market that more to car dealerships going, look at, we know you have this specific thing that you can't do right now. We're going to help you along that process to get an, a signature, let's just say. Oh yeah. I mean, there's still a ton of opportunity. So I'm roughly 18 months into the automotive industry and it's pretty easy to jump in and see like, wow, there's some really great things happening here. And it's also still a really, really fractured kind of universe of companies and solutions, right? There's no one yet who does a great job of, of delivering a, a complete online experience from start to finish across the, any of the touch points in, in automotive, whether that's sales or service or finance. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for, for startups here in this space still. So it's exciting to be here because we can go out and create new products around those as well too. And how has the tech startup industry changed in 2020? Cause I can imagine everything has changed, but are more tech startups like really focusing on software and forgetting the hardware? Is it more going into different like legacy industries like the car industry and everything? And how are marketers helping with all that stuff too? Yeah, I think it's fair to say most people would agree that, uh, you know, the tech industry has done really, really well in the pandemic. Certainly most sectors of it, not all, but certainly most have, have gotten bigger and better. But the flip side of that, I think we're, that we're like reaching a, you know, if like if interest in this stuff kind of, you know, peaks and wanes, we're at a, at a peak right now in one of the waves of digital burnout. So, you know, with so much that happened remote last year, um, everybody was putting more and more emphasis on their webinars, on their white papers and paid media, their content marketing strategy. And while that's a necessity, we, you know, from our side, we definitely started to see fatigue and burnout from our customers and prospects, just less adoption, less engagement with that stuff. And certainly you do your best to refresh the copy and give them things that are relevant to them and impactful, right? But still, I think we hit a point of fatigue. So I think that was certainly a big change. And what that causes, at least on our side, is for us to go back to what's old is new again, right? So um, do we go back and look at sending out print? Do we send out postcards? Do we send out swag? Do we send out gifts? Do we promote with gift cards, right? And we saw actually a lot of success with that. But any good marketer takes a great idea and runs it into the ground until everybody hates it. So it just kind of, that comes in ways as well. Kind of what works one day won't work the next, but the thing that wasn't working before works now. It's true. I mean, we all latch on to something that's popular and then eventually it's just human nature. And then eventually everybody's like, okay, enough, stop. I don't care anymore. Yeah, you know, ultimately, I think the goal of any salesperson or marketer is you want to have a more personal and human connection, right? That's tough to do when you're sending out, you know, emails to 40,000 people. It's tough to do when that, that your market is getting hit with the same things by a lot of, a lot of different people. So that's, you know, that's really where we've tried to push ourselves this past year is how can we just stand out more in a, in a positive way? and get people to know that, yes, here's trade pending, here's our brand, here's who, here's what we stand for, and here's who we are, and here's our little bit of a sense of, of humor. And that's, that's kind of tough to measure. It ultimately will result in more business to the company, and that's what we're here to do. But that's, you know, there, there's no good answer for that. We've been pushing on that one all year to try to come up with new ways to approach it. Mm-hmm. Which leads to kind of my 
next question is what should PR marketing pros learn f from this year to next year, or even 2020 as well, but also 2021, as I have called it the year of the shortage. <laughs> yeah. This is going to sound pretty trite, but like I, I don't have any great new insights to offer there. It, it, to me, it always comes back to the fundamentals. So like marketing's numbers are the sales team's numbers, which are the company's revenue numbers. So if everyone's on the same page of like, yes, here's this number we have to hit. Here's what sales is going to hit. Here's what marketing is going to be responsible to influence what we believe we can all do. I mean, that's a great foundation to start from. So if any year was going to force companies to make sure they were aligned on goals and revenue, right? It was certainly that first half of 2020. And hopefully those lessons would stick, right? Ultimately, we're not marketing to, to, to feel good. We are marketing to make it easier to sell our products faster and at a lower cost. I think the other things that, that I think maybe it forced upon us, but try to do as a best practice internally, is just you keep talking with your sales team as much as possible. And that doesn't mean going to the sales meeting. That means scheduling one-on-one -on -one time with each person individually and hearing what they're hearing in the market, what's working for them, what they need from the marketing team, what they're hoping to get from the product, those types of things. We've done a lot of that. And of course, you know, that, that same approach works with customers as well too, right? The, the more you understand what they're living and going through, the, the better your marketing is, the better your products will be and the easier it will be to sell it. Gotcha. And I mean, it even goes back to that. I mean, what will the future look like for PR pros and marketing people? Will be going back to the basics and really refining the basics going, hey, look, the basics aren't as bad as we thought they were because everybody looks to the future, but sometimes looking to the future may be looking towards the past. Yeah, it's like how far out we do you really want to look. So if you look out next year, uh, my hunch tells me, maybe I'm more of a cynic, I think it's going to look a lot like 2019. I personally don't believe that, you know, a lot of the things that people said, like, oh, the pandemic has changed this forever. I, I don't really buy into that. I think as soon as people get a sense of normalcy and can go back to their regular lives and their regular way of doing things, I think they will. Um, I was in Tampa for a conference last week at the Digital Dealer Show, and it was great to be back in person, and it was almost like the pandemic had never existed. And, of course, we're in the state of Florida as well, so say what you want, want to about that. But it was like people are more than willing to go back to just business as usual and how they've always done. Five years out, I think this one's, this one's interesting. I don't know if there have been, like, huge fundamental shifts uh, in B2B software marketing in the last – Decade. Somebody could probably find something to point out to that really quick. But ultimately, it's like what I see happening over and over again is there's like a new acronym that comes out that marketers get latched onto, and people now have job titles that are associated with that. Uh, and then maybe there's three new social media apps or flavors of the day that you've got to go out and test. But those like those marketing fundamentals never really change. Like the best marketing and like PR strategy you can have is have an amazing product that sells itself, it makes everyone's job a lot easier. And then you've got to be able to speak to the benefits and then to the features. You've got to have social proof. You've got to have case studies. You've got to you know, build that core audience of your champions. You have to have this nice virtuous circle that's intentional of communication between product sales, marketing, and customers. Like that's the, if we're still doing that five years from now and 10 years from now, like the ancillary stuff and like what app it's on or what acronym of the tool that we're using, right? That stuff matters less to me. It's can we just keep those fundamentals in place? 
that's a pretty old and tired kind of way to answer that question, but that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. Hey, it's good to learn. I, I get it. I mean, I follow tech as much as I can. There's always a new flavor of the month. I mean, I said clubhouse and clubhouse was everybody's copying clubhouse now. I mean, from Facebook, Twitter, discord, Slack, everybody's copying clubhouse, which I feel bad for clubhouse. Cause it's like, they're small, but it's true. Word of mouth is always King. Even if people figure it out, eventually they're like, Oh, it is King. I'm like, well, it's always been King. So it's good to, like you said, it's good to go back to the basics and understand the basics of marketing because we got, marketing somewhere before and we can't forget the old stuff just because it's old yeah <laughs> yeah maybe old's not the right word but uh yeah the, the fundamentals right the, the tried and true right and from there when you have that it becomes it's like it's like being a musician right if you know your chords you know your scales if you know how the things flow through the song then you can riff some sweet solos and some improvisation on top of that gotcha and a fun question for you if you could create a marketing dream team who would be in it? Yeah, I'm going to start off with a uh, talking corgi dog as our spokesperson because that's going to get like so much attention that my job is going to be a lot easier. Uh, so that's my dumb answer to the fun question on that part. But, you know, quite, I, I thought about this and, uh, and I, I didn't really have a dream team to assemble other than a lot of the folks that I work with today and I've worked with in the past, right? That's... <laughs> It's it's a super boring answer when you cut down to it, but it's like, yeah, I I know that the people who do good work and work hard and they're here local in the area. And if I was putting together a company today and I need to run those people, there would be four to five people I would call them right away that are all here in town. Hey, it's your dream team. So I'm just here to listen to what your dream team is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, with that team, we would have to have a, a corgi, a talking corgi as a spokesperson for that, because then... Whew, you talk about return on investment right there. I mean, Dogecoin blew up because it's a, it's about a dog. So, I mean, why not have a talking Corgi? <laughs> yeah. Why not? All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I think we've got it. I, I think we nailed it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Matt, for joining PR 360 and sharing your knowledge about all that you know about marketing PR. Yeah. I don't think we got it all out on the table. We got enough to, to, to cover a good 20 minutes or so. That's true. I mean, that's why we always have people back for a second time because there's the conversation can always continue. Yeah, I appreciate you having us on too. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the show. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Understand the th fundamentals and go back to the fundamentals and see you next week. Later.